everyone, and welcome to Mental Health Much. My name is Vincent, and I'm a French-Canadian psychotherapist living in Toronto. As a therapist, I'm fascinated by anything that has to do with mental health. So on this podcast, I invite friends and colleagues over to talk about it. Being a gay man, I am obviously more interested in anything queer-related, as well as topics that are pro-feminist, pro-trans, and anti-racist. This week, I'm meeting with my friend David to discuss the topic of loneliness and avoiding it with the wrong coping strategies. Hi, David. Hey, Vincent. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to have you on my podcast. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm super happy for you to start this during, you know, all of the stuff that's happening in the world right now, but it's a really cool outlet. Episode number two on loneliness. I don't think we can hit a better mark than that. It's very timely. So David, we used to work together in the HIV sector and then you abandoned me and you became a health policy maker and we miss you in the HIV sector, but I'm glad that your career is moving along smoothly. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I definitely miss everything related to like HIV, gay men's health. Like, I mean, that's my bread and butter. But yeah, it's time to try something new. Who knows? Maybe you'll see me a couple years down the line. You're still so young. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> so, David, for our listeners who don't have the chance to be your friend, tell us a little bit more about who you are. Okay. I always, like, when it comes to filling out, like, tell me more about you, like, on, like, dating apps and stuff like that, I always kind of dread it. So, bear with me. Um, I haven't gotten any better with it. But, you know, um, who am I? Um, I am the child of two immigrants from Barbados who grew up in the suburbs, grew up in Brampton, you know, born and raised. I am a mid-20s. I'm still claiming the mid-20s, even though it's probably late mid-20s, um, <laughs> gay man living in the city. I love music. I'm a strong music head. You can talk to me about it, um, about R&B, hip-hop, pop for hours on top of hours and the concerts that I want to go and see and who I've seen. Um, I love to travel. You know, I'm the well-rounded kid that looks to, you know, do some good in the world every now and then. You were so good at this and I didn't even have to force you to open up your Grounder account and make <laughs> you read your description on there. Um, honestly, that description might be a little nasty, so... <laughs> Probably best that we go with the one that we just did. <laughs> uh, thank you, David. And I asked this question to start with all of my guests. David, what is your relationship with mental health? Ooh, um, that could honestly be an episode in itself. But I would say that, you know, my relationship with mental health, if I'm being honest, it was non-existent. And I would say that it's constantly evolving. You know, I said that my, my parents are from the West Indies, like Barbados. Um, and, you know, watching like my dad, for example, like there's this way in which like West Indian men like carry themselves and they carry themselves with like this pride in how, the, how they move and navigate the world. And you can't really see them sweat. So that was a way that, you know, like you're just mirroring your your family. And like that was something that I picked up and like, There was never this idea of like checking in with your mental health. There was always a way that you had to carry yourself in a way that made it seem like everything was good. And seeing my dad do that a lot of the time, like I didn't realize that there were opportunities where you should be checking in with yourself. 
And I really thought that like when fo- when folks would speak about their mental health, like they were on the brink of a, like a breakdown or they were living with mental health challenges. For me, originally, when I say that it was non-existent, it was really I wasn't checking in with myself. I was constantly keeping myself busy. So I didn't think that anything was wrong because I was constantly busy. And then it really just got to the point where, you know, like a couple summers ago, like I was still moving really quickly. Like there was a lot of things happening in my life keeping me busy. But then there were additional things that came on, you know, the everyday stressors and, you know, the insecurities and a lot of the things that keep you down that you can kind of handle through your day-to-day movement but it's when other things start to compound on that that you start to realize like you you're hitting your tipping point and I reached my like tipping point a couple summers ago that's when I really started to realize like the importance of checking in with myself and really like feeling my feelings and thinking about therapy talking to a therapist and like really sitting down with my feelings Right. So your journey was discovering that mental health issues don't only mean schizophrenia or multiple personality disorder, like it's portrayed on media, but it can be more subtle things. Absolutely. And David, you picked the topic of loneliness, but more importantly, you picked the topic of all the wrong coping strategies that we can do to combat loneliness. (laughs) Before we go into the break, let us know in a few sentences what made you pick this topic? What interested you in that? You know, um, for those of you listening, we are currently living throughout a global pandemic, (laughs) Um, a pandemic where a lot of us are in solitude and like socially isolated and physically isolated. I just thought this would be a great topic because I think for a lot of us, um, living throughout the pandemic right now has put us in a place where we're forced to think about, you know, loneliness, solitude, and the relationships that we have with others and ourselves. And then more importantly, like the added twist of um, the wrong ways to cope with it. I just wanted to add a little spice to it. I just recognize that I have a lot of like negative coping mechanisms to certain situations. So I think shedding light on it and shedding light on how you can start to address it is really important. Yeah. And For those of you who are listening outside of the context of the pandemic, we talked about this, David and I, before recording, and we don't want to focus all or like almost none of the content on just COVID-19. It's just a moment when reflecting about solitude and loneliness is very much at the forefront. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And you talked about negative coping strategies. I said wrong coping strategies. And in a sense, I want to say, is there like really like wrong or negative coping strategies? I don't know, but what's wrong is if you don't have a lot or you use them in the wrong context or for the wrong reasons. Yeah, that's a good that's a good catch. Yeah, get, language matters, so get me together there. Yeah, I don't necessarily know if like negative is the right term there. I think in the context of, you know, living in the pandemic, like really and truly any ways in which you can, you know, survive and is probably going to be considered to be a healthy coping mechanism. But I think when I say negative coping mechanisms, I mean, I mean it in the sense that is what I'm doing coming from a place that will allow me to feel like I'm truly being my authentic self? Or am I doing something that's more in the hindrance of that? So Mm -hmm. am I doing things where it takes me away from myself? I use the word negative, but it really isn't negative. It's more, am I doing what's in the best interest of my personal development? And as an example, if sometimes I feel very lonely and I decide to watch TV and eat an entire pizza by myself, 
that's fine. But mm-hmm. if it's my only coping strategy, it will probably soon not be fine. You know, that's a lot of pizza. So without further ado, let's quickly move into a short break and we'll be right back to really start the conversation. still with David and we're still talking about loneliness. David, I think one of the best way that you could start this conversation is to let us know a little bit more about your own history with loneliness. Yeah. So like I mentioned earlier, I think one of my, you know, coping mechanisms or strategies for life has always been to like constantly be busy. And with that being said, I think the way that I experienced or the way that I thought about loneliness when I, when I would think about it every now and then was like, physically, am I alone? Right. Yeah. You can be lonely while in the presence of so many people, you can be, you know, quote unquote, like the most popular person and still experience loneliness. And I think for me, originally when I thought of loneliness, it was always like, okay, like I'm never physically alone or I'm very rarely physically alone. And when I am, it's because I'm like engaging in self-care or what I thought was self-care, you know, bubble bath or like, you know, spending time listening to music, smoking to weed, like just like chilling at home. And I was like, oh, this is what I need. It really took me some time to recognize that like loneliness encompasses so much more rather than just like this idea of being physically alone or kind of like in solitude. Right. Totally. You know, I think there are so many people who can feel like you can have all these people around you and still feel like no one sees you for who you really are. And I think it took some time to start to recognize that that can be um, also what loneliness looks like. Or you can very easily just in order to not be alone in a room, surround yourself with not the right people. Exactly. And I think when I am in the presence of like, you know, my people, my friends, the village that, you know, I have behind me or around me, like when I'm with them, like, do they really see me for who I am? Like, do they see me beyond like the physical? Do they see my soul? Do I feel comfortable to be so vulnerable around all the people around me? And the answer to that really was, yeah, for some people, like for my close inner circle, yes. But there are a lot of like, I don't want to say superficial, but there are a lot of like surface level um, friendships around me. And then that made me realize like, hey, like there are parts of me that feel lonely. There are parts of me that think that I can't be my full self around them. I have to be a version of myself with that person or with this group of people. That makes me think there's a theory about loneliness that I really love, maybe because it like it applies really easily to my own life and how I perceive my own life. And it's around what you were just talking about, like how you have some really close friends and you have some like peripheral friendship that are more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Superficial. Yeah. That are more superficial. And this theory says that if, that in order to not feel lonely in life, you need a very healthy dose of both of these relationships. So you need really close friends with whom you can be yourself that are really close to you. Mm-hmm. And then you need those superficial relationships. And they are as important in your well social well-being 
as your really close friends. So those people you see at school or at work, the guys that you go out with in a bar that you don't really talk to outside of this. And so this theory goes to say that if you only have a handful of really, really close friends and you don't have those peripheral relationships, you will feel more lonely. And obviously the opposite is true. If you only have those superficial relationships and you don't have those really close relationships, you will also tend to feel more lonely. Mm-hmm. See, I I understand, like I can totally see the importance of having, um, you know, those superficial relationships, whether it's like the person that you go to the gym with, the person you go to the bar and party with, like I get that. I think for me, one of the things that I have kind of like equated to like that feeling of loneliness is that piece around Am I like, do I feel like I'm wearing a mask around them? Do I feel like I'm being a very different person around them? So I think it's not so much the activity rather than like that internal feeling that I have when I'm engaging with them. We can go out and be superficial friends that, you know, just goes to concerts together. But when I'm at that concert with you, I feel so at home I feel like this is a form of intimacy that you know isn't necessarily the same as like me talking about like my greatest insecurities or relationship issues with my close circle of friends Mm -hmm. I think it's do I feel comfortable enough to be vulnerable with you during that activity as opposed to the activity itself yeah totally like I think you want to feel safe and comfortable even with your superficial relationships absolutely yeah And in the context of COVID, that's something that I've heard a lot is people being kind of surprised about who they're missing. They're like, oh, it's funny. I think I would miss this and this person. But Mm -hmm. instead, I'm really missing those random people that I didn't realize were so important in my life. When you sit with like being, you know, alone and you realize like all the things that you used to do and you can't do anymore, there are definitely parts of me that realize like, oh yeah, I totally miss this person for this reason, but am I going to reach out to them during this time, right? Because I miss you for like, yeah, the idea of us going out clubbing together, but I don't really know what our relationship looks like now that we're not clubbing together. Like, do I want to actually evolve this relationship? Do I want to add some layers of like vulnerability and intimacy? Do I want to be closer with you and invite you into my inner circle? Or is it fine to leave you on the periphery and wait until whatever happens and things open up and we can go clubbing again, right? Yeah, totally. And according to this theory I was just talking about, it is perfectly fine to leave some of those people in the periphery and they're your colleagues, they're your sport mate. And it's okay that not, actually it's healthy that not everybody in your life is very close to you. Mm. So now that we've established what loneliness feels like, let's dive in into some of those unhelpful strategies that we've promised to everyone for the past 10, 15 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Woo, okay, love this. So let's start with an easy one. I think a lot of people are going to recognize themselves, but one of the unhelpful strategies you used is social media. Yeah. I mean, to be quite honest, I am a bit of a social media addict. I Every Sunday when my phone goes off and it tells me how much like my screen time, I just cringe to see the hours that I've spent this past week on 
my phone, which will largely consist of me engaging in social media. <laughs> um, am I going to do anything to change it at this moment? Probably not. But, you know, I've, ad- I've recognized it. <laughs> social media for me, and I think for a lot of people, has always been like a quick, it's a quick outlet from like the current reality that we're living in. But on top of that, it's also something that provides you with like a short-term distraction and constant stimulation, right? Regardless of the platform that you're on, you can just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and choose what you want to engage with. And I think um, for me, when it came to being isolated alone, like going on social media allows me to, one, just see what other people are doing, And two, it allows me to engage with a lot of people, but again, like engage with them in a very like superficial way. It gives me the opportunity to just like share memes and gifts and um, just random dumb videos. And we can have a very mindless conversation sometimes. And that mindless conversation is also me connecting with people in a way. And in doing that, it's, it kind of like tricks your brain to feel like you're not be, you're not alone, right? Like I'm engaging with this person. So clearly I'm not lonely right now. Yeah. And we've talked about the fact that nothing in life is black or white, good and bad. So social media is a way to stay connected. But I think one of the downside, you name it really well, is that it really used people to constantly have something that they can get entertained with uh it's it comes to no surprise that when people do research on social media it brings up the same part of the brain that gambling does like oh will i have notification will this thing that i post get me some validation will this story have this person that i find cute reply to it like this is all the same part of the brain as gambling love a good thirst trap so (laughs) i totally get that piece and i also think on top of that like there's Something about going on social media where, like, you can also have, like, different types of friendships. It allows you the space to be vulnerable, but not really be vulnerable. For example, on Twitter, right? Like, you can make a a Twitter account, have, like, a picture of Rihanna as your profile picture, and you can go on there and you can find your crew of people. And I may be speaking from my own personal experience here. (laughs) Like, you can find your tribe there. And with that, like, there's just a different sense of um, connection, right? Like you found a group of people that have the same interests with you. You are bonding over that. And then that can lead to another type of, like that can blossom the friendship, right? That can create a space for you to talk about things beyond Rihanna and her music and how like excellent she is as a musician and artist, right? Like I had to throw that in there. (laughs) (laughs) And you can do that all behind one random picture of your favorite musician, Um, So I think that, like, when it comes to social media and, like, addressing loneliness sometimes as well, like, you are coming from a place where you are now allowing yourself to be vulnerable or more vulnerable than you would if it was me and you talking on the street, right? We might not get into that type of or that level of deep connection and intimacy over conversation in the same way that we would behind our phones, Completely. So what you're saying is that it does enrich your social life to have access to social media. 100%. Like the access to social media creates a level or access to a level of community that you never would get outside of social media. 
there's so many niches and pockets within social media that you can really find your tribe and be able to move on that and build your personhood around that. And I completely relate to that as a young gay man. I was I had nobody else that was gay in my life. So having access to an online community really like enrich my life when it could become a problem is if I grow up and I grow older and I was like, oh, the internet helped me once. So now the internet or social media has, um, social media were not a thing when I was young. <laughs> uh, so the internet once had the solution to my problem and now it will have the solution to all of my problems. Totally. And I think, you know, I don't want to say like, this is a generational thing um, because we're not too, you know, there isn't that big of an age gap between us, but like, I think we did come up in different times throughout social media and the internet. Completely. We've joked about this before, but, and I'm a late, I, I'm aware that I'm a late adapter to new technology, but I had my first phone, cell phone, when I was, I think, 24 years old. I can't. <laughs> you know, I came out, I met people, I lived. Like, I did all of those things without having access to social media, without having access to a phone all the time. And your reaction is just, I can't. I, I yeah, like, I, like, I'm flabbergasted. Like, I literally cannot understand this. So we're talking about how great social media can be. But where is the line between it being a great tool and you using it in an unhelpful way when you're faced with loneliness? We've talked about how it can be a great tool for, you know, building community and, you know, how that can also help to like building personhood and like feeling good at like within yourself. I think it can be a little dangerous when you are using social media as your only outlet for connection you only have internet friends or you're coming from a place where you have built an like an internet persona and that doesn't translate to who you really are so we've named that social media can really become a problem when it's the only tool you have and also i will kind of say it because of the constant stimulation if it's difficult to put your phone down it can really start to have an impact on your life outside. We see it all the time. People are having a conversation with their friend and just that conversation is kind of like not enough because their brain is wired to be multitasking and doing several things at the same time. So they will be scrolling down Instagram while talking with their friends or while on a date. It's a great segue talking about dating into one of your other unhelpful coping strategy that is dating apps which are so close, they're almost like social media. Or is that social media are now the new dating apps? They're so close to one another now. I mean, yeah, I would say that, like, you know, social media is essentially a dating app at this point. I think I'm more successful on Instagram than I am on, like, the the actual apps themselves now. But I think when it comes to dating apps as kind of being a distraction to loneliness, like we talked about earlier, you know, like, you can be completely with people in your life and still feel lonely, right? You can have like a sense of, you know, physical intimacy, but still feel like emotionally, like you're lonely, right? Literally, like some people can go out and spend a whole night with their friend, 
having a great night, mm-hmm. like having those relationship. And then they come home and they're home alone for 20 minutes. And probably if there was alcohol, like alcohol serving as a depressant, now all of the pleasure they experience in the night is forgotten because now they're lonely. And then that's when people... That's often when people are not making the best decisions on dating app. Like this one scenario is kind of a cliche, but <laughs> yeah, I think we I think we've all been there the night out, and then you're finally home, and like you just pop on Grinder. It's like two o'clock in the morning, and like, bam, come over. When you think about dating apps, like you can sometimes want that physical intimacy to kind of just like put your mind at ease. Again, it's that that distraction right there. Um, for how you're really feeling like deep down. I think you're naming it well that there are different types of intimacy and that friendship intimacy is not the same as physical or sexual intimacy. And sometimes as queer men, the sexual intimacy is valued as higher than the friendship intimacy. Exactly. And, you know, I think also we don't often sometimes think about like romantic intimacy sometimes as well, right? And like what role that plays in. And sometimes we don't even know how to be like intimate in that way too. Oh, yeah. to kind of like address that loneliness that we're feeling. So then we just try to fill that void with other outlets, whether it's, you know, sex, friends, or other like coping strategies. That's a good way to start thinking about this is like what what kind of intimacy am I craving for right now? It's okay to be a horny. It's okay to crave for sex. But is what you're looking for really romance? And are you going to find it at 2 a.m. on Grindr? I would argue probably not. It's it's just checking in with yourself and looking for the right type of intimacy at the right places. 100%. Like really spending that time, again, like checking in with yourself and reflecting on what What do you need? Like, where are you feeling depleted in your life? And then setting a game plan of like, how can I start to fill that reservoir? And I think when it comes to using dating apps as a, you know, not the greatest coping strategy when it comes to addressing loneliness, we're doing it from a place of thinking that, you know, I can have um, maybe a flirty conversation or I can have this guy over and we can fuck. And it's like, I have fulfilled that form of um, loneliness at this point. Mm-hmm. But you really haven't thought about like, what do you need if you're feeling, you know, that romantic intimacy is depleted or you're feeling like lonely from that? Like, what is need to really get to that point, right? And I think a lot of it comes from a place of reflecting and recognizing that if I want to be like romantically like with someone or like want to spend that energy, like it comes from a place of really being more vulnerable than sometimes we like to be sitting up and being vulnerable with someone so that you are truly yourself and you can have that deeper connection. And that takes a lot of, it takes a lot of guts, but it also takes a lot of, you know, self-reflection to get to that point sometimes for people. And we're not doing that at two o'clock in the morning, right? We're sometimes not even doing that when we download these apps, right? We just think that we're going to have a cute little conversation with this guy and see where it goes. And it'll pass some time until the next, you know, the next thing that's going to catch my attention will take me away from this. And this isolation has really kind of put a halt in that. There aren't many opportunities to take your head away from that. So, You can go on these dating apps, but you're still probably going to feel a little lonely at the end of the day. 
Apart from a lot of the obvious reasons why people are not getting the connection they want on dating apps that we've just named, there's also a trap with the dating apps where a lot of the times the conversation are easy. They're like those first conversations are routine. They're easy. They feel familiar. So they, they do feel a need, like not a deep need, but mm. it's it's almost kind of like an easy connection where you don't have to go through all the heartache and the awkwardness of yeah. creating real relationship. It stays superficial level and the brain loves a good routine. The brain loves not having to think about what's the next thing it has to do. So when it comes to sex and dating apps and rituals, if you have a strong ritual, the brain is going to love that. I know exactly what all of the next steps are going to be and that the brain just strives on this. Whereas if you try to do something different that your brain is more vulnerable, yeah. you have to think, you have to spend more energy and that's that's scary. Yeah, it's, it's a daunting, dreadful task to think about. And I... And like you said, like when you aren't being mindful of, you know, what is it that you're actually craving? Um, and if you don't recognize like what is the root cause of like that loneliness, it can put you in a situation where you're not necessarily doing what is in your best interest to address that root cause of the loneliness. As fun as it can be, like that hookup, it is great in the moment, but it's not going to fulfill you completely. It's not going to put you in a place where you are now feeling less lonely, for example. Like you are really just kind of following the same routine as you said, and it then leads you in a place of repetition and feeling blah. I always say that it's okay to say to people that right now I'm on a dating app because I'm bored and because I'm lonely. I'm honestly thinking that at every given time, at least 50% of the people on Tinder, Grinders, like name it, they're only there because they're bored or they're lonely. Yeah, no, drag me because that's exactly why uh, I'm on those apps. <laughs> um... And then you put yourself in a situation that is overtly sexual because these are sexual places. Mm -hmm. uh, and then what do you do? You kind of just follow that routine that leads back to sex. And maybe it's going to be great. Maybe it's not going to be great. Exactly. But I think the one thing that you, that you mentioned where you were saying how if you are on these apps, like there's no harm in saying, you know, I'm on Grindr right now because I'm bored or, and I'm feeling lonely. I think when it comes down to people like actually acknowledging and verbalizing that they're lonely, like that is a difficult task for a lot of people, right? Because of the amount of shame that we attach to feelings of loneliness and then expressing how lonely we are. So I think one of the key like takeaways, even though we're not really there at this point yet in the, in the podcast, but is to really think about like working towards like releasing like any forms of shame or feelings of shame that you have towards feeling lonely because it's a perfectly natural thing to be feeling. Yeah. And it's a lot easier for people to be vulnerable and talk about their own loneliness and not presenting like this perfect image of themselves on a dating app. If they have not, if they don't have a really hard time with rejection, if they don't experience a very high level of rejection, mm -hmm. 
because if I don't really have a high problem with rejection and I say I'm bored and somebody says like, this is stupid, we're not here to talk about our feelings and blocks me, I'm like, whatever. But if if it's a night where I'm feeling really down on myself and I don't have a super high self-esteem and that's the seventh or eighth person that rejects me in a row, it's really going to be experienced differently. Exactly. Yeah. So obviously that leads us to the third topic we wanted to talk about, sex and the idea of intimacy. We've already named it that we can find ourselves in a sexual context when really what we're hoping for is to have someone holding our hands while watching a movie. I'm so romantic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But how how has sex been an unhelpful strategy to deal with loneliness? I mean, obviously, like, the sex that I'm having is great. Like, don't get me wrong. It is a fun time. But I think what is the, like, I think one thing that I've had to interrogate was one, like, why am I like even thinking about having sex right now? Like, or like, what is the motivation behind having sex? Like, what are, what's the purpose of this? Why am I doing this? And I think a lot of the time it's, again, just to really feel close to someone sometimes. We've talked about this idea of, again, not really interrogating like what is depleted what form of intimacy is depleted and why is that leading to leading you to feel lonely? And I think, again, my default would have been, okay, like, huh, not really feeling the greatest right now. Let me go on the apps. Let me just invite this guy over and let's just fuck. And I think that as great as that is, it sometimes, you know, puts blinders on. So you can't really see what is really causing you to get to this point of feeling lonely. And if you follow that cycle over and over and over again, it puts you in a place where um, it can kind of be destructive to like your final like blossoming or development. You will get into the habit of looking to sex as being the only thing that can alleviate some feelings of loneliness when really like you should be thinking about how this is potentially blinding you from what you really need and what could be standing right in front of you. You know, in this context, sex and intimacy, it gives a short term reward. And again, I'm talking about it like it's a reward that can be very routine. So it's a reward that your brain loves because it doesn't have like the brain doesn't have to work too hard in order to get it. It's sort of like this direct pathway. I like to think of the brain as like a forest and there's like roads in it and pathways. So it's much easier to walk through a road or a pathway that already exists than to create a new one. Yeah, that is that's such a good um, analogy there because I think it also makes you start to think about, you know, you could be following this path and it can literally be leading you to a cliff, but because you are seeing this clear, like cleaned, narrow pathway to care to, to walk through, you're going to do it. And you're avoiding all of the warning signs that are right in front of you. Because you're just like wandering off in your forest, like not knowing what you're looking for. And then suddenly it's like, oh, here's the pathway that leads to sex. Somebody is offering that to me. I know this pathway. I might as well walk it instead of contouring to like meander in my forest in a helpless way. Exactly. So... The key to like really like thinking this through and like overcoming this is again like starting to 
be honest with yourself, sit with yourself and reflect and rec- try to recognize like the loneliness and, you know, don't try to just follow that path um, and block out what you're really looking, what you're really looking for. Um, yeah. Because the second that you really recognize like that truth or what you need, then you can start to gain the courage and the strength to like near from that path or steer from that path. Yeah. And I'm aware that you and I are both cis gay men and that yeah. conversation is now very oriented towards cis gay men. And maybe some people don't recognize themselves as much, but mm-hmm. as we are down that path, I want somebody to write a book on intimacy amongst gay men and the effect of pillow talk. <laughs> After you just had sex with a stranger, you're both covered in each other's fluid and did act. <laughs> that were very intimate, at least physically and sexually, there is this sense of intimacy. And that's where like the pillow talk happens. And I know of so many people who will actually have the sex because what they want is the talk, the pillow talk talk after, or even the cuddling Mm -hmm. after. And that's a fascinating phenomenon. So if you're writing a book on this, contact me (laughs) we can do a thing together at least an episode of my podcast so we'll soon take the second break is there anything about loneliness and unhelpful strategies that we have not named so far i think that we've named a good chunk of things for people to start to think about i don't want to be that person that like dishes out every single thing that they've been doing wrong and then be like take this home and deal with it Yeah, I feel like each of these topics will be in the future their own episodes. So let's take another short break and we'll be back with a few strategies. Welcome back. We're talking about loneliness and hopefully in the last section we'll talk about ways that you can work with loneliness in maybe a more healthy or at least diverse kind of way. David, we've already mentioned a few things that are helpful like setting boundaries, uh, not using only one strategy, being mindful, checking Mm -hmm. with yourself, being aware of what you're doing when you're under the influence of drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. What else has helped you deal with your own loneliness? We, we did touch on this, but I think the starting point for me was really learning to sit with myself and learning to really like feel my feelings. Again, like I, like I said, I am the type of person that, you know, one of my greatest like coping strategies is to do, do, do constantly be busy and uh, kind of like ignore that stuff. So Um, having to slow down because of the current circumstances has made me have to really sit down and reflect on myself and reflect on like, you know, what are my, what are some of my emotional needs and what are some of my desires as well? Am I getting everything that I want and I need right now? Um, So really sitting with that. And I think one of the ways that really helps me to get to that point is journaling shit getting out of my head and sitting down and just like putting all of my feelings into that journal. And I'm a Virgo, so I love to be organized every now and then. So organizing all those thoughts and organizing my needs. And then it gives me that place to start 
to then like be able to verbalize like what are my needs and my wants, right? Once I have them fully fleshed out and organized off of paper, that has been really helpful to kind of identify for me personally, what are some of those reserves that are super low that haven't been watered in years? And then where, you know, what are some of those um, reserves that are constantly being watered to the point where like it's overflowing and then recalibrating that to be able to be in a place that is my best and true authentic self. And sitting with yourself makes me think of a strategy where just learning to tolerate loneliness. And that's a tip that I quite like. And I use it for myself so I can I can say it for myself. But when I feel lonely, instead of trying to fix my loneliness in the moment, I try to fix it in the future. Mm. If it's Friday night and I feel lonely... I kind of just sit with my loneliness and be like, you know what? You did not organize your life well this Friday (laughs) and you end up alone at home. And what you would really want is a connection with others, which is a fair place to be. Like it's going to happen in our life. Mm -hmm. And instead of trying to fix it for Friday night, I tell myself, okay, how can I try then for the rest of the weekend to not feel this way? So I will still have to experience some kind of loneliness in the present, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. I find when people try to fix their loneliness right now and they get kind of desperate for it, that's when decisions making is not always the greatest. (laughs) Yeah, you're 100% right. For the folks listening, like I do think that it's important to also say like it is okay every now and then when it's like a last minute on a Friday and you're feeling a little desperate so you send out that like mass group text or text the folks to be like what are you doing to be able to like alleviate some of those feelings of desperation and loneliness but I think what we're getting at is like the importance of not making that your primary strategy and not doing that all the time right like It's okay every now and then, but don't do it all the time. Yeah, and you can do it, but there's a chance that it's not going to have the results that you're hoping for for right now. Mm -hmm. Any other things that has helped you? Yeah, um, the idea that it is totally okay to be the person that reaches out to people. I think sometimes we get to this point of, you know, it's maybe it's a bit of ego and pride that you don't want to reach out to someone because you don't want to sound needy or clingy, but it's like, it's okay to be those things. And it's more than okay to reach out to people when you are feeling lonely. There is this idea that, you know, we have to constantly walk around with like this strength or this armor that we have. And it's totally fine to tell people, you know, that, I'm not okay, or I'm feeling lonely, and I would, you know, like to go for a walk, or let's just have a phone call. Yeah. The more vulnerable you can be with your friends, the most vulnerable they can be with you too. And that normally develops further friendships. And if they're not, if it's not people that are ready to hear that from you, maybe they're not people you want to continue to have in your life, or they can just be on that circle of more superficial friends that are still very useful. Exactly. I think... A really good follow-up to that is the idea of, like, being open to cultivating, like, the relationships that you already have, right? You can be surrounded by so many people and still feel lonely, but that doesn't mean that you need to throw them all away and find new people to be vulnerable with and open up to again. With that group of friends that you have, you can, you know, pick and choose and think through, like, 
what are some of your feelings towards the people in your life? Like, what do you, what do you need from a friendship, like a deep and intimate friendship? What do you need to be vulnerable with people in your life? And like who around you hold those things that you can then work towards cultivating a greater relationship with. And, you know, it could be one out of five people, but that is one deeper friendship that you have. There's nothing wrong with having those folks sit on the periphery still and and be those sideline friends. But don't necessarily feel the need to go ahead and ax all of your friends and start from fresh um, to have deeper, more intimate connections with people. One thing with loneliness, too, is that different social contexts demands and rewards you differently. So a one-on-one conversation with someone is different than watching a movie with a group of people and then doing a sport or an activity with an even larger group of people. I find with humans, I guess I say humans, but I mean a little bit with the gay men's world right now. (laughs) A lot of the one-on-one interaction lives in the realm of dating and sex. 100%. So friendships are created more in a group context or in an activity-based context. And that's really important to look for. It is harder, especially in a big city, a busy city like Toronto, people only have so much energy for one-on-one activities with one person. So looking for friends to go for coffee, it's just not a thing that a lot of people have energy for, at least for several people. Yeah. And so aiming for those group activities is a good way to fight that loneliness. Obviously, you want in those group activities to be able to deepen the relationship. Yeah. But you have to think of relationship in a context of am I one-on-one? Am I in a small group? Am I in a big group? And navigate all of those because they're so different in the amount of energy and social reward that you're going to get. Exactly. You know, I think right now we're talking about this from the sense of like a social reward or it coming off as being a success. But I also think it's it's also important to be mindful that you can try to like deepen your friendships with people and, you know, as a way to address your own loneliness. And it may not work. There may be people that will completely shut the door on you. Um, and there might be times where like you both try to be like you're both trying, but it just isn't working out. And a, like, that's not a detriment, but B, I think it's also the opportunity to, for, again, further reflection on, like, you know, why did you think that this necessarily didn't work? How did you show up in this space? How were you articulating your needs? Were you articulating your needs? Were you also being receptive of, like, the other person's needs to be able to really cultivate that friendship uh, or that connection? So, like, I think it leads you to really think through again, what are your actions in this reciprocal relationship? Yeah, totally. And on a way more superficial level, but not really, you do know that your phone has a button to turn it off, right? (laughs) I have heard of that. I do not touch that button. I don't know anything about it. (laughs) So maybe that's a thing and not just you, David, but try turning off your phone for a couple hours and see what happens in your body and check in on that and explore what's happening with you with your phone turn off. Honestly, I'm like getting hot thinking about it. (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to be joining you, but I wish you all the best. (laughs) So David, thank you so much for coming on the podcast with me today. 
Of course, thank you so much for having me and letting me talk some foolishness for this past like 40 minutes. I do hope that it's helpful for someone that's listening. Um, and if it's not, honestly, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did our best. Yeah. Well, hopefully, David, we uh, started a conversation that people can further. And I am sure that sex and dating apps and phones are going to come back very frequently as topics on my channel. So stay tuned, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Do not hesitate to give us a rating or a comment and to subscribe to this podcast. If you want to stay in contact with me, follow the Mental Health Much Instagram account. Until the next episode, please keep talking about mental health to everyone as much as possible and keep safe.